Chapter Two of Rebel Spurs by Andre Norton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Two lighted lanterns hung from pegs along the center of the stable, and Callie had mounted a barrel to put up a third as Drew entered. There were the soft, peaceful sounds of horses crunching fodder, hoofs rustling in straw. Shadow turned her head and nickered as Drew came up to her box stall. She was answered by a blowing from Shiloh and a bray out of Croker. It's all right, girl, pretty lady. Drew fondled her mane, stroked the satin-smooth arch of neck. Callie dropped from his barrel perch. She sure is right purty, Mr. Kirby. Mr. Kells said as to tell you he's sleeping on the cot in the tack room over there. Should you be needing him? Callie pointed. Me? I'm bedding down in the last stall. I put your gear up right over here, so you can hear if she gets to moving. Thanks. Drew felt in a pocket, tossed Callie the coin his fingers found. The boy caught the piece, his eyes round as he looked at it. Lordy, thanks, Mr. Kirby. You must be near as shiny as Don Bazaar or Mr. Tobin. Shiny? Callie laughed. Silver shiny, ain't too many men as goes round to Baca throwing out good money that away, lest it's ringing down on the bar or sliding across some table cause they found out how they was holding jacks against some other fellow's kings. You want anything? You just holler, Mr. Kirby. Mister? Drew thought he did not have the advantage of Callie by more than four or five years. Oh, Captain Kirby, maybe or Lieutenant Johnny Shannon now. He was a lieutenant with Howard's Rangers. Callie gave Drew a shrewd, measuring look. Sergeant, Drew corrected automatically, and then asked, How did you know I've been in the Army? Well, you wear those two shooting irons, Army style, belted high and butt to front. Must use a flip-hand draw, as do all the horse soldiers. Listen, Mr. Kirby, if you rode with the Rebs, You'd better keep your lip buttoned up when the bluebellies hit town. There's been a pile of fightin', and folks is gettin' mad about it. Bluebellies? Drew was wrenched back months, a year, by that old army slang. Union troops stationed here? He had unconsciously tensed, his body responding, nerve and muscle, to past training and alarms. But there were no Yanks or Rebs any more. No riders or marchers in blue and gray, just United States troops. There's a garrison out to the Mesa camp, and Captain Bayless, he don't take kindly to Rebs. You see, it's this way. Out in the breaks, there's a bunch of Rebs, leastways they claim is how they're Rebs, still holding out. They hit and run, raiding ranches and mines. They held up a coach a while back, and so far they've ridden rings round the captain. Now he thinks as how any reb blowin' in the town could be one of em coming to sniff out some good pickin's. So anyone as can't explain himself proper to the captain gets locked up out at the camp till he can. Trifle high-handed, ain't he? Well, the captain's for law and order and he's army, but folks ain't likin' it too much. So far, he's been doin' it, though. Drew frowned. So even this far away from the scene of old battles, the war still smoldered. 
the black bitterness of defeat was made harder by the victor. Drew's hand rubbed across the bulge beneath his shirt. In one pocket of the money belt were his papers, among them the parole, written out at Gainesville, which could prove he had ridden with General Forrest's command, far removed from any Arizona guerrilla force. But to produce that would change Drew Kirby to Drew Rennie, and that he did not want to do. I rode with General Forrest, attached to General Buford's scouts, he said absently. General Forrest? Callie glowed. Lordy, Mr. Kirby, that's sure something. It sure is. Only don't be saying that around Captain Bayless, neither. He has him a big hate for General Forrest. Seems like Bayless was a colonel once, till the general outsmarted him back east. And there was a big smoke-up about it. They cut the captain's spurs for him, and he ended the war out here. Now he ain't no patient man. He's the kind as uses his hooks hard when he's riding. You know, you sure can tell a lot about a man when you give a look at his horse after he's come off the trail. That there Shiloh colt of yours, and this here lady horse and that old mule, anyone can see as how they always been handled nice and easy. They ain't got no spite against nobody as wants to rub em down and give em a feed. But some horses what get brung in here, they's white-eyed and randy, does you give em a straight stare. For that there's always a reason. Mostly you can see what it is when you look good and steady at the men who was riding em. Drew laughed. Glad I passed your test, Callie. Guess I'll turn in now. Been a long day traveling. Sure thing. And from up there, you can hear this little old mare. Does she need you? The Kentuckian's pack had been hoisted into the mow, and Callie had even humped up the fragrant hay to mattress his bedroll. A window was open to the night, and as Drew stretched out wearily, he could hear the distant tinkle of a guitar, perhaps from the four jacks. Somewhere a woman began to sing, and the liquid Spanish words lulled him to sleep. He roused suddenly, his hand flashing under his head, before he returned to full consciousness, fingers tightening on the colt he had placed there. Not the mare, no. Rather the pound of running feet and then a cry. No, senor, no. No es verdad. It is not true. Teodoro, he mean no harm. Drew scrambled to the window. Out in the alley below, three figures reeled in a circle of light afforded by the door lantern. The Kentuckian marked the upward swing of a quirt lash, saw a smaller shape fling up an arm in a vain attempt to ward off the blow. Another, the one who cried out, was belaboring the flogger with empty fists, and the voice was that of a girl. To slide down the loft ladder was again nearer instinct than planned action. Shiloh snorted as Drew's boots rapped on the stable floor. The Kentuckian had no idea for the reason for that fight, but he ran out with a vague notion that an impartial referee was needed. You there, what's going on? Sergeant Rennie came to life again in the snapped demand. The one who fled the court came up against the side of the building almost shoulder to shoulder with Drew, and he was only a boy about Callie's age, his black hair flopping over eyes wide with shock and fright. 
Drew's hand moved, and the lantern light glinted plainly on the barrel of the Colt. For a moment they were all still, as if the sight of the weapon had frozen them. The attacker faced Drew directly. He was young and handsome, if you discounted, a darkening bruise already puffing under one eye, a lip cut and swelling, a scowl twisting, rather heavy brows, and making an ugly square of his mistreated mouth. And who the devil are you? His voice was thick and slurred. Drew guessed that he had not only been in a fight, but that he was partly drunk. Yet, as he faced the stranger eye to eye, the Kentuckian was as wary as he had been when bellying down a Tennessee Ridge crest to scout a Yankee railroad blockhouse. He knew what he fronted. This was more than a drunken bully, a really dangerous man. The queer little moment of silence lengthened, shutting the two of them up alone. Drew could not really name the emotion he felt. Deliberately, he tried to subdue the sensation as he turned to the girl. What's the matter? At first glance, he might have thought her a boy, for she wore hide breeches and boots, a man's shirt now hanging loosely about her hips. She jerked her head, and a thick braid flopped from under her wide-brimmed hat. Senor, por favor, please. We have done no wrong. We are the Triffins, Teodoro and me. Teodoro, he finds Senor Juanito's purse in the road. He follows to give it back. He is not a bandido. He is not a spy. A spy one. We are mustangers. Ask of Don Reese, of Senor Kells. Why, Senor Juanito, do you say Teodoro spy on you when you hit him with a whip? Not thief, not spy. The boy beside Drew dropped a wheeled hand from his face. The man who says Teodoro Triffin is Ladron, bad one, him I kill. Drew's left arm swept out across the boy's chest, pinning him back against the stable. Now, what's your story? the Kentuckian asked the man he fronted. And just what's all this smoke about? Kells came out. You, Shannon, what are you doing here? Been drinking again, fighting too, by the looks of you. Senor Kells, the girl caught at the older man's arms. Por favor, senor, we are not thieves, not spies. We come after Senor Juanito because he dropped his purse. Then he sees Teodoro coming. He not listen. He beat on him with quirt. You know we are honest peoples. Now then, Faquita, don't you get so upset, gal. She was wailing aloud, making no effort to wipe away the tears running down her cheeks. Johnny, what kind of game you trying? You know these kids are straight. Them and their old man come to work the range for wild ones on Rennie's own asking. Take a quirk to the kid, huh? Kell's voice slid up the scale. You sure have bought yourself a snootful tonight. Now you just walk yourself out of here on the bounce. I'm doing the saying of what goes on on my property. You do a lot of saying, Kells. The scowl was gone. Shannon's battered mouth was actually smiling. But Drew decided he liked the scowl better than the smile and the tone of the voice accompanying it. Some men ought to put a hobble on their tongues. Sure I know these young whelps and their pa too. 
sniffin' round where they ain't wanted, and mustangers ain't above throwing a sticky loop when they see a horse worth it. We ain't blind on the range. His head swung a little, so he was looking at the girl. You'd better hold that in mind, gal. Double R horses have come up missing lately. It's easy to run a few prime heads south to do some moonlight trading at the border, and we don't take kindly to losing good stock. The boy lunged against Drew's pinioning arm. Now he says we are horse thieves. Tell that to us before the Don Cazar. Shannon curled the quirt lash about his wrist. Don't think I won't, Mex. He don't like having his colt crop whittled down. You. Those blue eyes, brilliant, yet oddly shallow and curtained, met Drew's for the second time. Don't know who you are, stranger, but you had no call to mix in. I'll be seeing you, kind of free with a gun, leastwise it's showing it. As quick to back up your play? Try me. The words came out of Drew's mouth before he thought. Why had he said that? He had never been one to pick a fight or take up a challenge. What was there about Shannon that prodded Drew this way? He had met the gamecock breed before, and had never known the need to bristle at their crowing. Now he was disturbed that Shannon could prick him so. Odd, the other had been successfully turned from his purpose here, yet now, as he swung around and walked away down the alley, Drew was left with a nagging doubt, a feeling that in some way or other Shannon had come off even in this encounter. But how and why? Teodoro spat. His sister tugged at Kell's sleeve. It is not true what he said. Why does he wish to make trouble? Listen, gal, and you too, Teodoro. Just keep clear of Johnny Shannon when he's on the prod that way. I've known that kid since he didn't have muscle enough to pull a gun lest he took both hands to the job. But he's not needing any two hands to unholster now, and he's drinking a lot. Mean, ugly drunk he is. Something must have riled him good tonight. In the cantina, there was a soldier from the camp, Faquita volunteered. They call names, he and Señor Juanito fight. Don Reese, he put them both out in the street. Señor Juanito, he falls, drops purse. Teodoro picks it up, and we follow. We try to give it back. Señor Juanito yell, spy, hit him with whip. That is the truth, por Dios, the truth. Yeah, sounds just like Johnny these days. Him with a snootful and somebody yelling Reb and Yank. Some men can't forget and don't seem to want to. Johnny sure takes it hard, being on the losing side. Turned him dirt mean. Now, you kids, you staying in town? See, si, Faquita nodded vigorously with Tia Maria. Then you get there and stay clear of Johnny Shannon, Sabi. No more trouble. See, si, Senor Kells. You, senor, she spoke to Drew. To you we owe a big debt. Come, Teodoro. She caught at her brother and pulled him away. What makes a kid go sour? Kells asked, of the shadows beyond rather than of Drew. Johnny weren't no real trouble, for he skinned off to ride with Howard. Sure, he was always a wild one, but no more than a lot of kids. And he'd answer the lead rein. Of course, we don't know what happened to him in Texas 
After the big retreat, the Rebs made out of here. Could be he learned a lot that was no good. Now he sops up whiskey when he hits town and picks fights, like he didn't get his belly full of that in the war. You can't never tell how a kid's gonna turn out. Hey, Mr. Kirby, you better get in here. Callie hailed from the stable. The mare, she's... Drew jammed the colt under his belt and ran. The scent of hay, of grain, of horse. Drew's head rolled on the pillow, improvised from hay and blanket, as sun lay hot across his face. He rubbed the back of his hand over his eyes, and then came fully awake to remember the night before. It took only a minute to get down the ladder in the shadow's stall, where a broom tail jiggled up and down above absurdly long baby legs and small rounded haunches. Shadow's small daughter breakfasted. Callie squatted on heels nearby, watching the process benignly. Ain't she about the best favored filly you ever saw, he asked. How come all your horses is grays? Shiloh her pa? Drew shook his head. No, her sire's storm cloud. But all that line are grays. This storm cloud, he a running horse? About the running his horse in his part of the country, Callie. This filly ought to pick up her heels some. If she takes after her dam and sire. What you naming her? Up to that moment, Drew had not really thought about it. The crisp air blowing into the stable, carrying something beside the scents of the town, gave him a suggestion. How about Sage, Callie? The boy thought seriously, then nodded. Yeah, Sage. That's gray, and it's purty. Smells good, too. Drew pulled up his shirt, dug into the pocket of the money belt for the horse papers. Got a pencil, or better, pen and ink around here anywhere? Mr. Kells, he keeps ledgers over in the tack room. Got some ink and a pen there. How come you need that? You ain't making out no bill of sale on her already, are you? Callie was shocked. Hardly. Just want to put her down right and proper on the tally sheet. The boy followed to watch Drew make the record on the margin of Shadow's papers. As the Kentuckian explained, Callie was deeply interested. You mean as how you can tell way back just what horses bred your horses? That's sure something. Round here, we knows a good horse, but we ain't always sure of his pa, not if he's wild stuff. Lots of wild horses hereabouts, then? Sure, some just mustangs, and others good stuff gone wild, run off by the patches and broke loose, or got away from a wet horse band. Wet horse band? Callie glanced at him a little sharply. How come you ain't knowin' about wet horses? Heard tell, as they have em, that same trouble down in Texas way. But I don't come from the border country. Well, Texas is sure a great big piece of country, so maybe you don't know about them river tricks. Wet horses, they're horses what has run off up here, driven down to the border, where they're swapped for horses what some Mex banditos have thrown a sticky loop over. Then the Mexes take them Anglo horses south and sell them, where their brands ain't going to get nobody in noose trouble. And the stolen Mex horses, they drove up here and maybe sold to some of the same fellows what lost the others. 
Horses get themselves lost along them back-country trails, especially if they's pushed hard. So them strays join up with the wild ones. If an a mustanger can rope one and bring it in, well, if it's a good one, maybe he'll get a reward from the man what's lost him. Heard tell that Don Cazar, he set some good rewards on a couple of studs as was run off the range this summer. Don Cazar has good horses? About the best in these here parts. He runs them on the range the old style. Stud and twenty, twenty-five mares together in a mandana, all one color to a band. They sure is a grand sight. Band of roans, then one of duns, and some blacks. He's got one mandana of all grullas. Sells some of them to the army. Drives more clear to California. And the old dons down in Sonora come up once in a while to pick them out some fancy saddle stock. He sure would enjoy seeing these grays of yours, if and you ever wanted to sell. Don Cazar, give you top price. But I'm not selling. Drew folded the piece of paper he had been waving to dry the ink and put it back in the belt pocket. What's that? He could almost believe he heard an army bugle, but the call it sounded was unlike any cavalry signal he had known. Callie was already on his way to the door. Wagon train coming, he cried as he ran out. Drew lingered by Shadow's box. The filly was resting in the straw, her matchstick legs folded under her, and the mare was munching the extra feed of oats the Kentuckian had tipped in for her. He could hear the sound of other running feet outside. It would seem that all Tubacca was turning out to welcome the wagon train of traders from the south. Drew's curiosity got the better of him. He went on out to the plaza. End of chapter 2